I want you to open your Bibles tonight to Psalm 66. Psalm 66 and verse 16, it says, Come and hear all you that fear God, and I will declare unto you what he has done for my soul. Now, everybody in this room tonight who is a Christian ought to be able to declare what God has done for you, but you have to realize that he has done nothing greater for you than saving you. And the moment that God turns you from your sin and brought you to him and gave you eternal life is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you, if it's really and truly happened. It's the greatest of all events that can take place in your life. Thirty-plus years ago, I was a school teacher in Charlestown, Indiana. I was a basketball coach, a school teacher, and enjoying that for as much as I knew how to do all of that. I was always a religious person in that I always went to church. My daddy was a Catholic, and when I was young, I'd sometimes go to church with him, but I didn't like all the kneeling, and I didn't understand what was going on next. My mom was a Christian. She belonged to the Disciples of Christ, a Christian church. So when my parents divorced when I was little, my mom couldn't keep my brother and I, so my mother kept me, and my dad took my brother, so I became a Christian church person, a Protestant. I wasn't a member of the church yet. I was too young as far as she was concerned, but I went to church and, and went to Sunday school class and learned all the songs and the hymns and all of that. And when my parents were reunited later on, I stayed with the Christian church. Of course, my brother and my dad were, were Catholic. So we always were a religious family as far as attending a church on a regular basis is concerned. But I don't believe anybody in the family was genuinely saved at that time. Well, after I got out of college and I began teaching school, after a few years of teaching, a door of opportunity opened up in southern Indiana, in Sellersburg. After having coached in Raceland, Kentucky for three years, I went to Sellersburg at Silver Creek High School and became a freshman basketball coach with the intention of getting the head coaching job the following year. Well, the following year, before the following year came, the head coaching job in Charlestown, Indiana opened up. And so I thought I would rather have that job because that was where I grew up. In the meantime, in that year there, I began going back to church at a Christian church that I had come out of. I knew everybody in the church with a few exceptions, and so I thought it would be good for my image and for my occupation and for my newfound stature as an adult to be a member of a church and to frequent that place of worship Often that gives you a good image. It's a part of what appeals to people. He's a nice boy. He goes to church. So the coaching job at Charlestown came up. I applied for the job, felt reasonably certain I was going to get it, and I did. So I became the basketball coach at Charlestown High School, and everybody was glad about it. Well, while I was attending church with this image that I was portraying, we had this new pastor, new preacher. I didn't know him. He came in while I was off in teaching school and college and on, so... I met John, and we introduced ourselves, and I noticed right away in his Sunday morning sermons that he didn't sound like a typical Christian church preacher that I had known all my life. He sounded more like a Baptist than anything else because he talked about sin. He talked about being saved. I remember sitting out there because I sat down towards the front, third row back on that side. That was my seat, our pew. I remember sitting there listening to him, and my heart would get pricked at things that he would say. My heart would say, you ought to listen to that. He's really talking to you. But then the other part of me, the lost worldly part of me, which didn't want to give up, would say, but I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I think when I was 12 years old, I went up there, and they raised the lid at the back of the church, and, and I climbed in there, and the preacher came in that side, and I came in this side, and I got baptized. I'm sure I'm all right. My heart knew I was wrong. But John would preach about all these things, about sin and getting saved. And then he started talking about knocking on doors. We need to be active in the community, leading people to Christ and inviting them to our church so they can be saved. And we're going to start this new program, a visitation program on Thursday nights. And you need to be here. Well, I wasn't about to go because I wouldn't know what to say, but I figured it was a good thing to say. Yeah, say it. And he kept harping. Every week it was visitation, visitation, visitation. So one night, because I was convicted, I said, all right, I'm going to go next Thursday night. And I'm going to do mine one time, then I can say I did it. So I went over there on a Thursday night, 
drove in the parking lot expecting a number of people to be there because I figured everybody's getting convicted. So I rolled in the parking lot and there was a pastor's old tan Chevrolet and another old car. And so I rolled in there and I thought, well, there's nobody here. I'm not going to be a pioneer and then start something. So I turned my car around to leave the lot. And as I did, as destiny would have it, I looked out the window at the pastor's office who happened to pull his curtain back and looked out the window and we had eye contact. And he said, so, you know, what do you do then? Go. So I, I pulled the car back. Oh, I didn't know if anybody was here, Brother John. And I walked inside, and there was John, and then there was Bob. Now, I didn't know Bob. I'd heard him pray a couple times in church because he was an elder in the church. I didn't know him. I didn't, I didn't know his name. But I remembered when I would go to church because, you know, in a Christian church, we took communion every Sunday, and one elder would pray over the cup and one elder would pray over the bread and then the deacons would pass out the elements and so I remember Bob would pick up his tray whichever side he was on and he would shut both of his eyes and he would say father in the name of Jesus and and I thought man he's doing it because all the other guys would pick up theirs and go we thank the old God this day for this die and then you know go through that and then it was over but Bob was different he was sincere seemed to be real into this. I mean, like he was a Christian. I asked one guy out one day after church, I said, who's, who's the new elder? Uh, he told me his name. I'll just call him Bob. I said, where'd he come from? I said, well, he lived up in southern Indiana. He's uh, working down here somewhere. I said, he seems to be real uh, religious. Well, yeah, I think he's, yeah, I think he's all of that. I said, well, I'm just curious about who he was. And he said, well, you know, he's a little slow. I don't, I don't think he's got much of an education. And we heard he was in a car wreck about five years ago. He was in a coma for three months. Oh, okay, gotcha. Because you see, he's been affected. Now, this is the way I thought when I was 28-year-old man. Oh, I see. He then he probably can't help himself very well. He's just real slow and probably needs a little help along the way. And people probably feel sorry for him. And he, he just, bless his heart, he's just less than what the rest of us are. Well, that night I came in the pastor's office and walked in there, and there's John, and of course there's Bob. And I, the preacher had been talking about two by two. And I knew he wasn't going to pick one of us. We wasn't going to odd man to see which one got to go with the preacher. And I was sitting there figuring it out. I thought, well, it's going to be me and him. Oh, dear Lord. Of course, now I'm very conscious of this. You've got to understand, I'm doing this to appease my conscience and to do this thing once so I can say I've done it and I'll be out of it. My fear was walking out that door and going into the community, knocking on doors representing the church and God because I was a pretty vile person. I mean, I could play this here, but boy, at halftime, I was nasty. I mean, it was bad. But anyway, we were standing there in the room, and John said, well, I'm glad you came, Tom. Uh, boy, it's good to have somebody here to go with us, but tonight I'll just let you and Bob go. And of course, I did. Oh, Adam, fine. That's what you say. So he said, well, let's have a word of prayer before you all go. So, you know, I'm hands like this here. I just shut my eyes because you're supposed to. Well, it had my eyes shut and there was this flip on my hand. I thought, what in the world? And I looked up and, oh, you know, they were holding hands. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so uh, we held hands and they prayed. I was real uneasy because, you know, Bob, when he would pray, he'd kind of squeeze and a little bit. I thought, I don't know about this. See? <laughs> so then we got in the car and we started out down the road and we were going to a house. I said, what address is it? Well, it's on Edgewood. And I knew where that was. So. We drove out there and got the number, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, I hope it's somebody I don't know. Please don't let it be anybody I know. I mean, I'm with, you know, Bob, and, and, and he probably couldn't put two words together that would make sense. I had to do all the talking. I remember knocking on the door and then going through my little spill, and the person came to the door, hi, how are you? I'm from, and we would like to talk to you, and we're so glad that you're in our town, and we have a nice place. I'm sure you would enjoy it. Can we help you come? Then I was got that little spill over. Well, we're not going to take up any uh, more of your time. We would appreciate a call from you if you need some help, and we're very interested in you. Thank you very much. Bob said, Tom, yeah. He said, can I say a word? I said, sure. Well, what would you say, no? I said, sure, Bob. 
He looked at that old fellow with his Bible, that old ragged Bible with ink all in it. He said, excuse me, sir, but have you been born again? And so he kept talking about that man, about the plan of salvation. I'm sitting here trying to act like Bob and I are together, trying to get this man where we are. And I'm sitting here thinking, wages of sin or death. I thought, man, I don't want to hear no more of that. You know, God so loved the world. Well, I like the love part, but I don't, I don't like the sin and death part. And we knocked on a couple more doors. Nobody was home. And we drove back to church that night. It was good and dark. And uh, I'll never forget this long as I live. We parked out on the street on Harrison Street. And I was getting ready to shake his hand and say, well, Bob, it's nice to be with you tonight. Because that's the proper, decent, diplomatic thing to say. And I said, well, I was going to say that. He said, Tom, you said, Bob talks all. He said, Tom, you see all those stars up there in the sky, brother? Uh-huh. <laughs> he said, you know, brother, he said, the same God to put all those stars up in the skies in this car with us tonight. And I thought he was going to get that Bible out and go through all that stuff again, you know. And he said, he looked over at me and he said, the Lord loves you. I said, yep, thank you very much. I said, I got to go, I got to go. And I got out of the car. Then the conviction, see, seeds were planted by a man whom I really did feel superior to. I really did. I felt sorry for this poor man, car wreck coma then the preacher starts in after this time talk. he was so glad we're finally getting some people coming and we got a lay witness mission coming to our church in just like a month a lay witness mission and what is that well lay people not ministers not preachers but ordinary housewives businessmen mechanics and all this you know people that have jobs not preaching jobs are going to come to our church in couples into our city. Charlestown was having like seven churches have a citywide lay witness meeting. And each church would accommodate like 15 or 20 of these witnesses or people, not Jehovah's Witnesses, but God's Witnesses. <laughs> and so these people from Lexington up in Ohio and different places around would come to the church and they would be assigned a church in that community that they would be a part of for that weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So the preacher was going through all this, and I thought, well, I, you know, fine. You know, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Somebody will be here. And then the preacher says, now, kind of like this. You know, this is how preachers get things done. Now, said, we need some volunteers. We're keeping like seven or eight different people here, groups, sometimes husband and wife, sometimes a couple. Like we need seven or eight homes to accommodate the 15 to 16, 18 people that are coming to this church. Now, I need some volunteers, some of you that would open up your home for the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of such and such a date, and that you're willing to keep a couple of people in, in your house, bring them to church, and be with them, and just, you know, be their host. Now, do I have anybody tonight that will volunteer? Well, you know, that's a great time to tie your shoes. <laughs> so I begin to kind of look at the floor and look around and, you know, count my money and look at my nails. Well, come on now, we need somebody. You know, you can look around and see who's holding up their hand. So, you know, as has been my lot in life, I raised my head up to, you know, like looked up at him Well, he's looking at me. This is the way God did it for me. He was looking right at me. Tom, would you and Bonnie keep a family? Well, what would you all say? No, no, we don't want anybody. <laughs> I did what you're supposed to say if you are a religious person. I said, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he assigned a couple to stay with us. And I'm really inside about half irritated because I think, I don't want these people in my house. I don't even know who they are. I don't even know what we're doing. So now I've got this thing coming up. Well, here we are. Friday night, the big lay witness meeting. First night, you have a big meal in the fellowship hall, and you get to know each other and shake hands and talk, and then you meet who's staying in your house and live happily ever after. So we went to church that night with our covered dish dinner, and we parked in the lot and was full that night. You feed the church, they'll all be there. We had our dish and we were walking around the corner in the fellowship hall. Here was the fellowship hall in a little grassy area on the sidewalk and there's the old sanctuary. So we're walking around the corner with our dish and I saw a couple of strangers 
smiling, of course, and they had one of them little tags on your shirt that says, hello, my name is, and then you write with ink what your name is. And so I was walking around the corner, and I saw one of them. And he was talking to somebody. Of course, when this guy saw me, he broke over to come over to shake hands with me. Well, I held to give the dish to Bonnie, and he came over, and he shook my hand. I reached out to shake his hand, and he grabbed my one hand with both of his and kind of squeezed it. Now, see, where I lived and where I grew up, that wasn't the way you shook a hand. You shake hands, it's a good, firm grip, and you just it doesn't have to be long, but it's a good, firm grip. That shows character. Now, if somebody grabs your one hand with both of his and kind of squeezes on it, leaves a bad impression. <laughs> now, it did to my wicked mind. You've got to realize where I was. I was an evil-thinking person, but I was able to play the religious game as far as everybody else I knew could. So he shook my hand. I thought, uh-oh. I did. I thought, oh, man. His name was Gary. And I thought, oh, I sure hope he ain't staying in my house because he's sleeping outside if he is. <laughs> so we walked into the fellowship hall. We got in the fellowship hall. Of course, I saw all of our crowd and all these new people. Well, we set the dish down. Everybody sit down now, and I had to do something. I came back out there to sit down, and the only seat open in all those tables was up front where these tag people were. I mean, the whole bunch of them sitting on the end up here, all these laughing. This, all of them just smile. Praise the Lord, they would say. Well, praise the Lord. Now, see, nobody in the Christian church said praise the Lord unless it was printed in a bulletin. If it was a responsive reading and it said praise the Lord, then you said praise the Lord. But nobody did it spontaneously. I mean, nobody just came out and said praise the Lord. He just didn't do that. Well, I sat down at the table there. I was in the middle of all these people realizing now I've got a role to play and I better do it well. And there was old Smiley, the first guy I met. He was sitting down there and, and these women sitting up in here and I'm right there in the middle of them. And of course, I had a tag by then and told them who I was. Mr. Uh, Hamilton, is that right? Yes, ma'am. What do you do? I said, I, I'm the, uh, I teach school out here. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah. And uh, somebody said, I, yeah, he, he's, he's our coach. Oh, I said, yeah, I'm the, I'm the basketball coach at the high school. Oh, well, did your team hit any home runs this year? <laughs> basketball woman. <laughs> home runs. Why don't you say run any touchdowns? It's basketball. <laughs> but I said, uh, well, no, we, you know, we, we did all right. We didn't do, you know, too much. <laughs> Would you pass me that? You know, because I didn't want to talk to her. And they got to talking to each other and say, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord this. And I'm trying to eat, listen to what's all. Well, thank God. Well, is it Jesus? Well, just praise the Lord. And I hadn't met my party yet, and I thought, I don't know if I can do this. And then about that time, the preacher came in over there, and he said, Tom, I'm, I got bad news for you. Well, are you going to bring three of them or what? He said, your couple never showed up. Now, here's how you play the role. They didn't. Oh, praise the Lord. I was really looking forward to this, John. That's what you're supposed to say. Well, then somebody did come in late, walked through the door. A couple of them got there late. Well, two or three of these women knew them. They went over there, and they hugged each other. Of course, by now, I'm thinking a soft, squeezy handshake, hugging, uh, something, you know. Okay, we had our little meal, and then we went to the fellowship hall. This is how God saved me. We went over to the fellowship hall, and they were going to give their witness I would call it a testimony, but they were going to give their witness. And I noticed one thing. They would always ask somebody to pray for them before they witnessed. Well, I sat in the back of the room. I used to sit down in front so everybody would see me. Well, this night I sat behind the last person. I was about halfway back, and I sat back there, 40, 50 people in the room. And I sat back there to see exactly what's going on here. Well, this lady from Lexington, her name is Fran Hansen. Fran gets up first, and she's got this wonderful smile on her face, and she continues smiling, talking about Jesus, and, and Jesus this, and, and Jesus that, and, and oh, Jesus. And by this time, see, that name would penetrate my hard heart, and, and I would realize that these people are really right. This lady is. Then a principal, a high school principal came up there. And boy, now I could relate to principals. Well, I couldn't relate to them, but I mean, I could recognize and understand principals because I, I was in school with them, never could get along with them, but I was always in school with them. 
And his name was Hezmachan, and he got up there and he said, Praise the Lord, hallelujah. Man, oh man, this guy's a principal? I did. I'm sitting back there going, I don't know about all this. And he got to telling his testimony about God and how Jesus this and, and all God Almighty and praise God for this. And then he sat down. And by this time, I'm really getting convicted. I'm thinking, you know, God was tapping on my heart while they were talking. Though I was opposing this new kind of religious expression, my heart was agreeing with it. Well, then here comes Smiley. The guy, you know, the squeezy. He, I was sitting in the back there, and he said, can I sit here? Well, what would you say? No. And I said, yeah, sure. He sat down right there, and I scooted over some more. And we were sitting there listening to the next lady's testimony, and then he goes, Psst. That means, can I say something to you? And I said, uh, yeah. He said, I'm going to witness next or testify next. He said, would you pray for me? What would you say? How many of you would say, oh, no. He said, would you pray for me? And I said, what you're supposed to. I said, yeah, yeah, sure. And so you're, bless him, and, you know, all of that. Folks, I have never prayed publicly. Best I know, I've never prayed publicly in my life, and I wasn't about to because I was ashamed of the fact that I was not a Christian. Though I went in Christian circles, did Christian things, I didn't know God Almighty. I didn't know Christ on a personal level. I wasn't opposed to it, but I wasn't ready for that. I was too young. And then... Gary gets out of, they call his name, and now Gary Overly from somewhere in Kansas is going to speak. And so Gary got out of his pew, and he walked up there, and he said, Hi, I am in this, I'm a so-and-so, I does some kind of a job. And he says, uh, Before I give my witness tonight, I'd like for Brother Tom Hamilton to stand and pray for me. Oh, man. <laughs> You don't know. I mean, you, you all can stay tonight and try to wonder because we've been Christians so long. But I, I was, I, I mean, I, I became weak. I really did. I, I, I lost my breath for a moment. I got shallow. And I stood up back there and I held on to that pew because I knew you had to pray. I mean, I knew I couldn't say, thank you for the world so sweet and thank you for the, you know. And I wasn't going to stand up and say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I wasn't going to say God is great and God is good and we thank you for this food because we weren't eating. <laughs> and I wasn't going to say, Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with you. I wasn't going to say that. I mean, I stood, and I can remember just like it happened last night. I stood against the pew, and I held on to that pew, and I thought, you've got to make one up. You've got to roll your own here. You've got to do one and not read one. And I was nervous, and I said, and I stuttered bad, too, and I couldn't put two sentences together without dragging one into the other one. And so I, um, uh, God, we ask you to <laughs> bless this man and, and uh, help him through all of this and <laughs> help me to live through all this or something like that. And I remember I sat down, and I was, I was so ashamed of myself. Oh, I was. I remember God speaking to my heart and saying, you know, you may be kidding some of these people, but you're not kidding me. I know your heart. And that was the first time, I think, in my whole life I had experienced serious conviction. I mean, like a sense of shame was coming over me that I was out here doing it. See, I hated phonies. And yet I was realizing that in the most important thing in my life, I was a serious phony. And that God was letting me know that he knew it. Oh, man. Of course, that was offset by this thing. When church is over, when we're through this, I want to take Mr. Smiley outside, Mr. Gary, and I want to thump on his chest while I'm talking to him and say, leave me alone, buddy. Don't you ever call me again to pray. Do you understand that? But I knew that wasn't Christian, and I knew that wasn't churchy. And all I could do was sit back there, and I was this anger on one side and this sense of shame on the other side. Oh, and then we went home that night, just the two of us, and didn't have our third party. It was kind of quiet. We really didn't know what to talk about because what we had been hearing was not common to us. It didn't come out of a Sunday school quarterly. It wasn't some double-space typewritten, nobody-could-understand sermon. 
These were ordinary, common people like us talking about Jesus that we didn't know, and they talked like they knew him. And there was something rising up on the inside of me that says, I really want that, but I, I'm sure I can't live it. I'm too young, and I'll mess up, and it just won't work, but I know I need that. The next day was Saturday. We met out at the high school for the, all the churches and all their witnesses came together. And I was out there at the church doing my level best not to cry. These people would stand up. Some of them were very nice looking to some of the high school, college kids, and they would sing, and then they would give a testimony. And, boy, I began to get convicted, and I was trying not to cry. And, you know, I was I just I'm telling them it's asthma or something or hay fever. And I'm sitting back there, and, boy, they would say things that would got personal. You know, if you're sitting here this morning, and you know in your heart that you want Jesus to come into your life and save you and give you strength and power and courage to live the life. This is the day God wants to save you. Boy, I'm sitting there thinking, everything in my life is all in a haywire now. I want to be successful coach, but you got to live a different kind of life to be that than you do to, to be like these people. And I can't be like these people. I want to be like these people, but I still like what I'm doing. And, and I can't, where am I going to... Then my pastor comes up a little later during that meeting. Everybody's milling around. He said, hey, got good news for you. He said, a couple of people just came in, two women. And I told them they could stay with you. <laughs> well, I was wilting by this time, and I met these two. They were both real pretty, which made a whole lot easier. Of course, I'm going, hey, how you doing? Now, I didn't run around with women, but I'd admired pretty faces. And these women they were gifted. I mean, they had pretty faces. And, and they had wonderful personalities. You've got to realize where I was. I was a bad man. And I was glad to keep them in my house. We went home that evening. We sat down, asked bodies on a Saturday night. And we set up to what, 1 or 2 o'clock? We set up to 1 or 2 o'clock, me, them, and my wife talking about Jesus. And they never asked me to get saved. They never asked me to pray. They never said anything about personally coming to the Lord. They just talked about how wonderful God was in their life, all the wonderful things he did. And one would talk about miracles in the Holy Ghost. But I was sitting there lapping all of that up, and my hunger was excited. And I thought, for the first time on Saturday, my heart was saying, as much as anything I can think of that I really, really want, I think I want what they have. I want to be a Christian like they are. I don't want to be like the ones in the church that have been sitting back there asleep and dead all their life. I want this life that they've got, this, this liveliness. I want that. So we all went to bed that, that night, and I think Bonnie and I laid in bed and thought about this and slept a little while and got up the next morning. Couldn't wait to get to church. I mean, this is one of those times, let's go to church. It was on a June morning, June the 30th, 1968. It was about 90 degrees and it was real hot. And of course the windows were up and everybody was doing this, you know, and we're sitting there and this lady that stayed with us, Nancy Baldock from Campbellsville, she came up that morning and she stood up there and she began to share her testimony. She told about how the Lord saved her and kind of life she had lived. I don't think this woman ever did sin in her whole life. I think, why in the world would she need to get saved? Man, I'm the one who needs to get saved. This woman here hadn't done anything. She's never done a, half of the things that I've done. And boy, she would talk. And it was, to me, it, it was like an angel was speaking. I mean, the smile and the glow that radiated from her face. And I'm sitting here getting real teary-eyed because my heart is really wanting this. I mean, I'm wanting it now. And then came the invitation hymn. Just as I am without one plea. My life began to go by my head. I've told you this a number of times. All of the vile, the ugly, the sinful, the shameful, the wicked, and all those things begin to go past my mind. And while I'm sitting there thinking about, oh, God, I'd like to get saved, all the reasons why I couldn't. All my old past hang-ups and all the assured weaknesses that I would go back into would run by my mind. Oh, yeah, you'd like to have it, but you can't do it. Nobody you ever knew has stayed with this except those you know, car wrecks and comas. I mean, who else can do it? And it's verse 2, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of wonder. Well, this time, Bonnie, she's snorting and snorting over there and, oh, I'm going to go forward. 
go ahead. Of course, she, she needed to go forward bad, too. So, so she made her way down the front. And about almost the end of that song, as I was standing there with tears just running down my cheeks, boy, it shifted my way to the other side to hope this thing would soon end. I got it going. I found myself out in the aisle, and I went down there, and I knelt. It was beyond the right side of the church, if you looked at it from the back of the room, and there was a return air duck on the floor. And who was kneeling on that return air duck? Bob. Of all the people who didn't need to be up there, there's old Bob up there crying, praying, asking. He might have been praying for me. I don't know, but he was up there praying. And I knelt. At this point, when I got out of that seat, I heard the preacher say, he said, folks, if you'll take the first step, God will be with you all the rest of the steps in your life. And that was all I needed. And I started walking down front. You know, you can say a lot about this now because a whole lot was involved from there to here. But I knew that I was making the biggest decision I had ever made. I knew that. I knew I would have to turn around and face my old life and all my old friends who weren't there watching what was happening. And I doubt if any of the people I knew in the church really believed that what I was doing that day would last anyway. And I was fighting all of that. I mean, I was fighting who I thought I was, the image I thought I had, the importance of my life. I was fighting all of that stuff. I walked down the aisle. I knelt over there. I put my hand just over Bob's head on that little curtain, that knee rail or whatever they call it. And I began to cry, and I asked God to save me. I said, God, I, I'm, I, I'm rotten. I'm no, I'm no good, but more than anything in my life, words like this, I don't remember the exact word, I ask you to save me in Jesus' name. I remember when body went out, it was almost, it was right at 5 minutes to 12 on that big old ticking clock. So I knew it was 15 and 20 seconds later, I was up there behind her. That's why I say it's 5 minutes to 12 on June 30th, 1968. I surrendered my life to God. And the one thing I remember in particular about that, besides the tears and the extreme sorrow, I experienced sorrow. I mean, I was so ashamed of 28 years of filth, of all the rickety, rickety life philosophies I had, it was all melted. I mean, I just asked God to save me. And I told him, I said, I'm scared because I don't know if I can do this or not. I'm asking you to help me. I mean, we got up off that that day after, boy, half the church came up. I mean, they were just lined three or four or five deep all in front of the church. I remember I got up and there was a new kind of joy. I was crying and one of the first people to greet me was old Gary. Smiley, you know, squeezy, I didn't care. He came over to hug me, and I hugged him. He said, Brother, I knew you were going to get saved. I knew God was going to save you. And, of course, I'm so praise the Lord. I'm glad I got saved. And here came Nancy and a couple of, you know, all these people gathered around, and just praising the Lord for you and praise God. Bonnie and I drove home that day. It was hot. We had a 65 green Buick. We were driving home to Sellersburg, Indiana. And it was quiet in the car, and she'd gone up, and I'd gone up, and she'd been crying, I'd been crying. You could tell she'd been crying, because all that, all that. But anyway, <laughs> we were driving home, and I looked over at her, and I thought, I don't even know what to say. I mean, this is a whole new life. We're starting from scratch. It's like dating. And I looked over at her, and, and she looked over at me and smiled, and we held hands and went home, and praise God. We walked in the house on Millview Circle. Walked in the house and I said, Bonnie, I said, before we do anything else for the rest of our life, let's kneel right here over this footstool and let's pray. Let's get this thing started right. So we both knelt there and we held hands. And I remember specifically saying, and Father, if I should ever get weak or fail in this Christian walk, make her strong to bring me back. And if she should ever get weak and try to quit, make me strong enough to bring her back. But God, keep us straight. We dedicate our kids to you and all that we have to you and to your glory. That was 30 years ago. And I remember after that, the next day, the next morning, July the 1st, 30 years ago this morning when I woke up, my first sense of want, need, was the Bible. And that was when I began to think, Bible, Bible. Oh, I want to see what it says. And all I could find was a vacation Bible school. It was made out to Tommy Willis Hamilton, 1947. It had old tan you'd open it very hard, something would fly out of it, either an old leaf or some old sheet. So I went to the pastor's office. He's getting ready to leave on two weeks' vacation. I said, John, 
I need a Bible. He said, well, use mine while you're gone. It was a Schofield Bible. And I remember in the next several days, and I'm not exaggerating, I remember sitting there reading it as though I had never heard of a Bible, reading it and seeing things and things opened up that, I mean, that made this the most exciting thing I could do. I mean, all the other things I would try to think to do in my spare time, put it all aside just to sit down and read and think about this book. My pastor was gone. The only preacher I could talk to was Lewis Poor. He was a Baptist preacher there in Charlestown, so I'd get a verse here I couldn't understand. I'd say, Brother Poor, this is Tom Hamilton. Oh, yeah, hi, Coach. I said, I got saved Sunday. You did? <laughs> Praise the Lord. And I said, yeah, I'd like to come over and ask you a couple of questions. I've been reading the Bible. Oh, come on. I went over to his church, and, of course, he knew all the answers. I mean, nothing to it. And he said, we're having prayer breakfast Saturday morning. Why don't you come? You know, breakfast. Praise God for breakfast. Prayer, you know, I can probably roll one. I could make one up. So with the prayer breakfast, Saturday morning, 7 o'clock. That was early for me, but 7 o'clock, we went in there and met all these other men. The coaches say, well, praise the Lord. Hey, that's, <laughs> yeah, okay. So we all introduced themselves, and we sat down there, and across from me was a fellow I didn't know. I didn't know half of them in there. This fellow had a pocket full of religious papers. We call them tracts, and and uh, talked loud and fast, but seemed like a very spiritual person. So we're praying over the breakfast. Let's eat. Before we do, let's pray over this food. Well, I bow my head. And while he's praying, while the preacher up there is praying, this guy across the table from me is going, thank you, Jesus. If that's right, hallelujah. Amen, brother. Well, nobody in the Christian church did that. One man prayed, and everybody else shut up and listened. But this guy here, that's right. Amen. Well, I took a peek at him, you know. Watch and pray. That's scriptural. So I, uh, I looked over at him like that there, and he's going, praise God. That's right, praise God. Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Everybody sit down. And he sat there and rattled through breakfast. He talked that praise the Lord and talked fast and could quote the Bible. Oh, man, who is this guy? So we ate breakfast. They seldom pray at prayer breakfast. I think it's just a way to get you out, making it sound spiritual. Really, most of the time, it's just breakfast. But this guy said, well, it's time to pray, isn't it? Thought, well, yeah. So let's go up in the sanctuary and pray. Well, I think four or five of us wound up in the sanctuary. And one of the guys was from our church. He came forward the same week I did, Donnie Van Pelt. So we were up there praying, and I was trying to think of something that, you know, to pray. I really was. I was trying to, now before you open your mouth, don't get any words that has B in it because you can't pronounce B. Don't say big and blue or nothing like that, but leave that alone. And I was trying to think of a prayer. And this fellow that's sitting across the table from me, uh, he's up there praying, walking around in front of the church. Thank you, Jesus and Father, we pray in the name of... And this guy could pray. I mean, he put stuff together, and I'm sitting here going, man, is he a preacher? No, I knew he wasn't a preacher. So he said, boys, I got to go while we were still praying. He said, I'll, I'll talk to you all later on. So after he was gone out the door, I said to my buddy, I said, who is he? He said, that's Tom Cox. And I said... Well, well it, he, he's, uh, he's, he's got more horsepower than the rest of us. <laughs> this other guy said, well, I'll tell you what, Coach, I think I'd stay away from him if I could. Yeah, well, why? Well, I don't really want to get into that. Well, now, <laughs> wait a minute now. Now, you told me I need to stay away from him. Mean, the decent thing to do is tell me why. You know, other than his energy. I mean, what is it? Uh, he said, well, he speaks in tongues. And I said, what's, what's that? He said, all right, you go talk to your preacher about that. I thought, wow. All right. So he wasn't here yet, so I didn't know anybody else to talk to, but I had to go to my mom's house. So I went over there, and I rolled in the house up there. My dad was gone. I said, Mom. She said, yeah. What's speaking in tongues? She came in the other room. She said, where have you been? <laughs> and I said, I was at a Baptist church at a prayer meeting, and I ran into this guy. They said, he does that. And my mother, she said, let me tell you something. She said, you stay away from him kind of people. And I thought, well, that's two now. Two people said that. <laughs> and, you know, your mother can't be wrong. There's no way your mama can be wrong, see? And she told me one time she was at a tent meeting, and there was sawdust, and people were climbing poles and dropping babies and running around and shaking. I mean, the story that she told, I had to, uh, you know, I had that kind of a look. Well, 
That preacher came back a little while after this, maybe a week or 10 days after this, and we had a little Bible study at the church. Then he was teaching the book of Ezekiel. He had a little uh, music stand down in front of the church, like standing here, and there's 10 or 12 of us would sit out there, and he would teach the book of Ezekiel. None of us knew what he was talking about, but we were there because it, you know, it's, you're learning. So he got through with the eyeballs one night about Ezekiel or some kind of a vision Ezekiel had. And, well, are there any questions? Well, I got one. I got one. I held my hand up and he said, yes, Brother Tom. See, we're brothers now, brother. Yes, Brother Tom. I said, yeah, uh, Brother John, um, reading in the Bible here in 1 Corinthians 14, it's not Ezekiel, but 1 Corinthians 14 about they spoke in tongues. I said, what is speaking in tongues? Can you explain that to me? Well, they turned around and they looked back at me like this here. This nervous kind of... And after he picked up his books and everything and got them back on the stand, he said, well, due to the nature of that subject, we would better be off talking about it probably in my office, if you don't mind. I said, sure. I, but see, I knew there was something funny about all this. Because everybody was acting real squirrely when you mentioned tongues. So I went over to his office. By this time, I was wanting to cut the chase. I was wanting to say, quit breathing funny and tell me what it is. So I went into his office, and he said, where have you been? So I told him. And I told him what had happened. I'm glad he's back, but I said, I, I need to know what this is all about, because I read it in the Bible. He said, let me tell you what it is. He said, it's nothing. Well, now, that's three people, and your preacher can't lie. <laughs> so he said, it's nothing. He said, it's just a bunch of gibberish and a bunch of mental psycho babble that doesn't mean anything. The Pentecostals do it because they've been brainwashed to thinking, he said, there's nothing to it. It's called glossolalia. Now, that's college word for it. And we don't want any part of that. You understand? <laughs> yes, sir. You, my mother, and whoever. I, yeah. Our witness meetings, our little knocking on doors died. His Sunday morning sermons lost all of its pop. There was a time he could preach when I was saved, and I'd, I was really into it. I mean, I could follow him and see where he was going and where he was taking us. And, and it just started going, it was like he was going, shall we stay and go home? Didn't make any sense. Bob and John and I were praying one night. With the three of us prayed together all the time. Every time we got together, we'd go in the old sanctuary, turn on the cross, and pray. We had a big gold cross against the burgundy background with a light behind the cross, and it glowed out behind the cross. It was a wonderful place to pray. Spent many hours in there. And so we were in there praying one night, and John said these words. He said, God, we're dead. Of course, I'm saying amen. He said, this church is dead. Well, all right, Amen. He said, we need something that we don't have. And he said, Lord, I don't know what it is. He said, if it's this Holy Ghost business, then we want it. Because I'm thinking, I thought we were against it. I'm serious. I'm over here praying going, I thought we were against it. He said, we need something that we don't have. Well, that's true. And Lord, maybe that's it. Well, and so we want it. Next day or two, he called me and said, over at Evangel Tabernacle in Louisville. W.L. Rogers was a pastor there. He had a broadcast. He said, I heard a broadcast this morning. There's a fellow from Detroit that's going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit tonight. Let's go. Of course, I said, now, what kind of church is it, John? He said, it's Assemblies of God. I said, uh, is that like Brother So-and-So's church was the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana? And he said, oh, no. He said, this is a Pentecostal church. I said, you mean they talk in tongues? He said, yeah. I said, John... I didn't want to tell him I'm a basketball coach and, and I'm, I really am fearful of my job if somebody found me there. But I said, John, do you really think we ought to do that? He said, we need something. Let's go hear what he's got to say. The man's name was Fred Smallchuck, Detroit. He was the big Assemblies of God man. So we went over there that night to Louisville to Assembly of God Church. Now, I'm, I am scared. And I suggested that we wait until the church, see, because I figured Pentecostals did like us. They started on time. So we're sitting out in the parking lot, and the church starts at 7.30, so we wait till 7.40 to go in, knowing that they're already going, and we can just walk in and very quietly get in the back row and sit down, and whenever it's over, we can very quietly nod and get out of there, see. Well, I didn't know they didn't start on time. 
we walked in the church. Some of them were still milling around, and we kind of walked in there. Hi, how are you? Where are you from? They said, I think, don't tell him, John, don't tell him. <laughs> he said, we're from Charlestown. I'm thinking, oh, man. So uh, we were going to sit in the back row, and this little usher, he came up there, and he, he said, hey, praise the Lord, you come with me. And he took us all the way down about the third row back from the very front. And we're sitting on the front row up here. I call it front row. It's Pentecostal church. And then the preacher came out. Brother Roger came out and said, Oh, praise the Lord. Let's all stand our feet and worship God. And I thought, We can't. We ain't got a bullet. <laughs> and his wife came. And I'll never forget this. She came out and got on the organ, flipped everything on, and had both her feet going in two rows of keys, and people would come and talk to her. Uh-huh. What? Oh, yeah, and all of this was going on, and didn't matter what hymn they played or what note it was in. Now, see, I noticed that. I'm thinking, man. And the piano player, she was all over the keyboard, and the organist was all over the keyboard, and everybody just doing this here. Well, you didn't clap in our church, and so I was uneasy about that. The speaker comes up that night, and he speaks. Boy, he answered a whole bunch of questions. He shot my pastor's theology down the drain. Then he got through preaching and he paused in his prayer. He just stopped. He paused. So he just stopped about like this. And I think it was either right behind us or very two or three rows behind us. There was a young, energetic, vigorous young man was anointed to pray in tongues or speak in tongues. And he had, yeah, about that loud. And, and, uh, and I, I'm sitting here like this here. And I'm looking over to make sure everybody else is in here, you know. And boy, and then I was thinking, now this has to be interpreted like I'm going to do something about it if they don't. But I thought this is supposed to be interpreted. And so about that time, Mr. Smallchuck up front, he says, now, I have the interpretation for what the young man said. And he said, this is for one or a few of you that are here tonight. And he started out by saying things like, do not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He does not come to bring you fear or unsettle you, but he comes to bless you and take you to his level. And, bring, and, leave. and I'm sitting here, boy, everything's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we left in the car and started home and... John said, driving, he said, I need to talk to that man. I need to talk to that man. I said, well, let's turn around. So he turned around, and we found out what motel he was in, and we drove over there. It's getting late, and we went in the room. What room's he in? They told us. They called him up, and he came down, and had put, you can tell he put his clothes back on and thing. And, and here's us sitting there, and he's, we told him who we were and what we wanted, and he started answering questions again. Well, what do you do about this? And piece of cake, he just answered it. And boy, I settled all my, and then I said, I want it. I was thinking, I want it. I want it. I don't care what they say about me anymore, about coach or anything else. I want that. And I remember we got ready to go thanking him, and I remember him looked at me, and he said, son, you're going to get it. I said, that's right. Amen. Thank you. I sure am. I was thinking, I'm going to go home and get it. So I did. We got in the car and we drove back across the river, back up in Indiana to Charlestown. And I suggested we go by the church for a little prayer. Because I was going to go in there and get it. So all of us, I think there was five of us, we went in there, four or five of us, we went in there and knelt around the church. Everybody got their spot and we started praying. And I, I said, Lord, I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Remember, I got myself all fixed up. Didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew it was going to be good. I got myself all fixed up. I said, Lord, I want you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I did. Of course, they were all doing this here. You know, all them others were praying for doing this here. Now, when they saw it didn't work, then they all start asking for it. Yeah, give me, yeah, I want to tell you, you know, we all want it. Now, if I'd have got it, they'd all run out of there screaming and yelling. But it's when it didn't work, yes, I want it too. Well, I was real disappointed. I didn't get it. We went home. Talked about it. I came back the next day to Brother John. I said, what do you reckon's wrong? He said, well, let's go try it again. We went over to the sanctuary. Lord. We, we wanted it. Of course, he'd watch me pray, and then he'd pray, and I'd kind of watch him, you know. We didn't know what to expect. We went out one night, knocking on doors. First time in my life, I led a man to the Lord. 
Knocked on the door, told him about his soul, told him about sin, asked him when to get saved. He said he did, and I prayed with him. That was the first time I'd ever led somebody to the Lord in my whole life. Man, we came back that night. Yeah, praise the Lord. And uh, we had our prayer, of course. We got down there to pray, and, and we'd been praying, I guess, for about an hour. And John said, well, it's about time going about one morning. He said, why don't you close in prayer, Tom, so we can go. I said, all right. So I started praying, and I remember when I started praying, my throat was kind of getting tight. This happened like I had a little hole. I was trying to, like I tried to talk through a little hole. Well, it was, and I was, I was praying, and it felt like this. That's what I was doing. I mean, that's what it felt like. I might have been talking normal, but everything began to tense up and tighten up. And then I stopped while I was praying, and I remember my mind was saying, what's going on? Then I heard it. I didn't hear an audible voice, but on the inside of me, these words, lift up your hands, open your mouth, and start speaking. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't tell me what to say, because you see, he doesn't do the talking. You do the talking. And you can't talk with your mouth shut and your mind made up. And I knew that I was going to raise my hands and not hinder whatever it was was going to come out. I put my hands up. And I thought, I don't care what y'all are doing. I don't care if you're staring. And I just took off. I mean, you know, just, it just rattled out there. For, I bet you for five, maybe ten seconds. I mean, it was loud. And, you know, part of me was going, oh, no, you ruined Oh, you're out. It's over now. I mean, it's really over now. And, man, I was jabbering away. And I stopped. And, of course, whenever I did, the next thing I know, front row of pews would be like being against those chairs. I was leaning up against those chairs and I was laughing. See, that laughing thing didn't just begin. <laughs> now, I was full of the joy of the Lord. It wasn't any religious thing. It was just the joy of the Lord. I mean, I was full. My cap came off and it was overflowing. And the joy of the Lord, oh boy. And I remember old Bob, old car wreck Bob, he looked over me, eighth grade education. He said, what's it like, Tom? He said, can I touch you? <laughs> he did. I so helped me. He said, can I, can I touch you? I said, hey, yeah, hang on, brother. <laughs> John, was our pastor, was the most skeptical one. And he said, what's it like? And I said, it's just, it's like rivers of water. I mean, it's, it's all wanting to gush, and, and you just uncap it, and you let it go. I mean, you don't try to form words. You don't try to think of what you're saying. I just, it just goes. And man, I got in the car and drove home. And I was dancing in my spirit all the way home. And I got home and I walked in the room and I was giggling. Like, you know, I've come home giggling before, but not on this kind of wine. This is a different kind of wine. And I came in the house full of new wine. I said, buddy. She said, you got it. <laughs> Well, then once the news got out that I had it, boy, the intensity of the prayer meeting, every, the more of them started coming, give it to me too. We then figured out to get people filled with the Holy Ghost, you had to take them over to Evangel Tabernacle. We'd take them over there. We'd take carloads of them over there. We would. We'd take them over there and tell them old Pentecostal boys, they're got a red plaid shirt, the lady in a white dress. They ain't got it. Get them. <laughs> and sure enough, whenever the service was over, they would go over there and Hi, come on. And they'd go up front, and every time, they always got filled with the Spirit. So it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Several of us were filled with the Spirit. The pastor wasn't. One morning, I came to church Sunday morning. You know, the usual boy, I was ready to go. I'd been up all night studying my Sunday school lesson. I was so fired up. Wanting to go. I'm just full, just excited. And I saw my pastor. He didn't look like he'd shaved real good. Kind of had a saggy look. I said, John, you all right? He said, yeah. yeah, yeah. Said, Come over here, man. I want to ask you something. You know, like Nicodemus at night, making sure nobody's watching. Come, come over here, Tom. I said, John, have you got it? No, man, let me tell you what happened. He said, I begged last night. He said, don't you tell this. He said, I sat up last night in bed, and I read chapters again. I read books, and I said, all right, God, I believe in you for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to speak in tongues, and I ask you to give it to me in Jesus' name. He said it didn't happen. And I said, I'll even humble myself to crawl around this room like a dog. Because one of the people in our group that got filled with the Spirit did really sound like they were barking. I mean, it really did sound like it. Now, they weren't, but, you know, it's kind of humorous. 
So John said, I'll, I'll humble myself to do even that. And he was on, crawling around in his bedroom. He sat on his floor with his mouth open, trying to get God filled with the Holy Ghost. And he told me, he said, don't you tell this. And then he finally said, he said, about 3 o'clock this morning, I said, forget it, Lord, I don't want it anyway. He said he didn't go to sleep. He got back in bed. And, and oh, it was so much fun. He went over to talk to the preacher the next day, and some lady, some Pentecostal lady, two of them grabbed a hold of him over in the preacher's study, and they prayed for him, and he got filled with the Spirit. And the preacher announced it on the radio while he was coming home. Folks, I'm telling you, it was one of the most wonderful times in our life. We tried our best to act as full gospel-y, spirit-filled-y, Pentecostal-y, excitedly as we knew how to act. Everything we heard, and this is the truth, it seemed like everything I was beginning to hear, because I was into studying an awful lot, everything was like it was new. Everything just jumped off the pages. And it was so exciting. We got together and talked about the Bible all the time. Well, we would read about things like deliverance, casting out devils. We got a tape one time of somebody. It was kind of weird, but it was new, and we didn't know anything about it. So we listened to that, followed it through the Bible, didn't understand some things, but uh, we heard some more and studied some more and bought a few books and listened to that and, and kind of got into the casting out demons thing. One night I was talking a little bit in the house. I was kind of the leader of this crowd. I was the first in a lot of things. So I was telling you, oh, yeah, uh, casting out demons is what we ought to be doing if we're believers because the Bible said these signs should follow those who believe. And here's how you do it, and this is what happens and how the devil works and the authority and power that we have, and here's how we operate that power. Oh, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. One night, Wednesday night after church, a girl named Teresa Smith, she came in church. She was still in high school. She said, Brother Tom, Brother Tom. What? She said, there's a dead man out in the parking lot. Can you raise him? That's what she said. She said, there's a dead man out in the parking lot. Can you raise him? Well, I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm really uh, about time for me to get home, isn't it? And everybody kind of gathered around like, yeah, chemo, Sabi. What do we do? Well, after talking all of this, what are you going to do? You have to exercise yourself spiritually. Teresa, where, where is he? He's out in the parking lot. So we walked outside, and I didn't see anybody laying anywhere, but he was over in a car parked on the other side of the parking lot where the big light is, and big night lights in the parking lot, and the light was in this guy's face. You could see everything clear, and I walked over there. I knew the girl, and uh, I told somebody, I said, talk to her about the Lord. Let me talk to her husband, and, of course, he was like this. He looked dead. He wasn't, but he looked dead. <laughs> Oh, more. I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death. Of course, everybody's just looking, see what I'm going to do, you know, I'm looking over. I said, all right, devil, I command you to loose this man in Jesus' name. <laughs> I said, oh, come on, come on. I said, what's your name, devil? And he went, because uh, I hollered him. Uh, I said, What's your name in Jesus' name, devil? What's your name? And he looked over me and opened one eye, and he said, Harold. <laughs> of course, I, I'm, I'm thinking, Harold? There ain't no demon named Harold. What's the matter with you? <laughs> what's, what's wrong with you? Well, everybody around me started going. <laughs> but at least we tried. We were real busy in those days going to meetings, so we would all go back to Evangel Tabernacle. Any special meeting over there that we had, we're spirit-filled people. We're really into this, so we go back over there for a special meeting. And one night we were over there, the, the air conditioner was off that night, and it was real hot. But we didn't care. I mean, you know, people have lived through this before. And so we were sitting there, and Brother Rogers reached under his pulpit and got his bottle out like this here, and he said... We've got a couple of people that have come to church tonight to be anointed with oil for healing. And so we're going to anoint these with oil tonight. And I'm thinking, hey, I've never seen this done. This will be good. I mean, we don't do that in the Christian church, but I know it's in James 5. So he said, I'll tell you what, i like for all you preachers that are here tonight. And he, John, you come up. And, of course, you know, I thought my pastor, he's never mentioned it, never preached on it. We never talked about it. 
if he knows anything about it, then he's the only one that does because he never shared it with anybody. So we got up there, and they were all standing around, and this man that came forward was a bald-headed fellow. He was a brother-in-law to the preacher. He's kind of a larger man, kind of bald-headed. And so Brother Rogers took the top off his olive oil and handed John, our pastor. He said, John, why don't you anoint this brother and pray for him? And, of course, I'm thinking, man, this is going to be neat because I've never seen it done. I, and plus, he's never done it. This will be good. Now, John had never done this in his life. Later on, he said all through seminary, he didn't even believe in it. But now he's one of them. So he took the lid off of that olive oil and handed him that nice fresh bottle of oil. And John, he took the bottle. We're all on the front row watching. What's he doing? What's he, what's he doing? So we were watching. So John makes him a little, a little puddle here. And he takes that oil and he's doing like this here. And I looked at the other men and Brother Rogers looked at him going... And this bald-headed man is going to get prayed for. I'm, I remember him, you know, it was taking John a little bit of time, and, and he looked over and went, like, what's he going to do? And John filled that thing full of oil and handed that bottle back to the preacher, and he guided that little puddle of oil up, and that, that heavy-set man went, and man, he took that on and slapped it on, on his head. And he was praying. He's trying to impress him with prayer. And Father, in the name of Jesus. And he's sliding all over that man's head. And he was going through all this kind of stuff. Well, I thought that's what you did. After he got through, that man took his hanky out. And he was trying to get that oil off his head. He, had, I mean, he was slick, buddy. Then Brother Rogers took the bottle back and said, Thank you, Brother John. I'll do the next one. <laughs> next guy came up, and of course he did like this here and put a little mark on his head. And I thought, oh boy, he missed it. We rode that poor man for months about that. I said, John, you should just pour the whole bottle on his head. Let it run down his shirt, down his back, into his pants, and I'll just pour the whole bottle on him. We laughed, and he said, well, I've never done it before. I didn't know how to do it. I said, well, you sure acted like you knew what you was doing. But see, that's a game that you play. You try to act like to impress people. That, yeah, I know all about that. But I'll never forget that thing. He held that little puddle of oil, and he was getting ready to put it on man's head, and he smacked it on top of that guy's head. He prayed for about five minutes. He prayed for China and the world and the hungry and all the poor and the countries and the governors. And the pre he prayed all around the world. But I'll tell you what, folks, we weren't afraid to tread in those days where angels feared to trod. Time wouldn't permit me, a week of nights wouldn't permit me to tell all the wonderful, even sensational things that God did from those early days to this very day and how he arranged, opened doors, and caused things to happen to where I am, where I am tonight. And I can look back over my life and a lot of things that I thought were real disappointments were part of God's plan to get things where they are. And sometimes we look at things as though, oh, this is plain awful. And yet God can take something awful and turn it into something golden and something good. He can do that because he's God. I just want to leave you with this last little point. If you're a Christian, you have a testimony. You have a story about your life that nobody else in all this world has because there's nobody else in the world like you. You're the most unique person on planet Earth because there's not another person like you. And God, who saved you and called you out of darkness and brought you to him, God has given you a life to live and a testimony to give. And one of the ways you bless God and glorify God is to share with others what God has done for you. You don't need to be a professional. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It's just your testimony. The thing that impresses unsaved people more than anything is not the preacher's sermon. They expect us to talk like that. But when you tell them what Jesus did for you, you say, well, I, I don't know a whole lot, you know, other than just God say, that's the most important thing in your life. Jesus saved you. You represent God on this earth by his choice. 
He is guiding and directing your life in all the places in this world. And many times where he directs you, he says, now tell them what I did for you. The psalmist wrote, come and hear all of you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. 30 years, 30 years in one day, I've been on a journey that eventually leads to the throne room of God. What could be better? Amen. Father, we thank you tonight. All of us do. Everybody in this room, Lord, has something to be thankful for tonight. Every one of us. We've all failed. We've all come short. We've all flopped. We've all succeeded in some ways, but God, if we're all saved, we've all had the same experience. The rebirth, the regeneration. And I pray, oh God, that you would cause us to treasure that and to be willing to share it with others as our most important event in our life. And for any here tonight, Lord, that have never surrendered their life to Jesus, for all who have ever lacked courage to take the first step and knowing that you'll be with them all the rest of their steps, I would pray tonight, if it's your will and your leading, that you would bring them to you tonight just as you brought me 30 years ago, that they might be able to share with others what great things the Lord has done for them. And Lord, for those that are already born again and already saved in this room tonight, let them realize that they represent you. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.